0: I'm John Edwards, the lute player and artistic director of The Musicians in Ordinary. You're hearing an excerpt from a setting of the ballad tune Go From My Window by Richard Allison. This piece and the others you can listen to at the end of this podcast are in Margaret Bord's Lute Book, a collection of lute music begun in the second decade of the 17th century. And this is part of a series of podcasts supported by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the SPEM in Allium Fund of the Toronto Foundation, and York University, on that collection of music and other music books owned by girls and young women. Among the contents of Ms. Board's book are several pieces that would have been heard sung or played in the London Theatre in the 1610s and 20s when the book was being compiled. I talked to Tom Bishop, professor in English at the University of Auckland, about the theatre, theatre-goers, plays, and the place these tunes had in them in the Jacobean period. Uh, So, Tom, everybody knows about the Globe Theatre, which is now a great tourist destination in London, the reconstruction of it, at least. Uh, Less people know about the Blackfriars Theatre. Tell us, Uh, how did it become a theatre?
1: Well, the Blackfriars District of London, which still exists, there's a tube station called Blackfriars uh, between the river and St Paul's Cathedral, was originally a monastery um, inhabited by uh, members of the Blackfriars order, which is why it's called Blackfriars. And it, it had some large social buildings uh, and meeting houses that were used by the monastery, but also occasionally by the government. Some of the proceedings for Henry VIII's divorce from Catherine of Aragon were held um, in those buildings. And when Henry VIII dissolved the monasteries, he handed out the land and the buildings that had belonged to the monastic institutions to various powerful courters or suitors to the court of augmentations. and this, these buildings came into the hands of the Master of the Revels, who occupied them uh, partly for offices to run the Revels' office, but he also partly leased them out. Um, and eventually, one of these subleases was taken up by a consortium of musical and theatre entrepreneurs uh, in the late 1570s, who turned it into a theatre. Um, the leaseholder himself became increasingly discontented with this. Arrangement and sued to have it back. But because Elizabethan legal proceedings almost always took forever, it actually took him eight years to get the lease cancelled and the buildings back. In those eight years, those buildings had had built inside them a small theatre, which was then made available to a company composed of performing boys. Some of these were musical boys and some of them were acting boys. So there's already, by the late uh, 1570s, a tradition of musical theatre, as it were, or plays that included musical expertise uh, held in the Blackfriars. When that lease reverted to the original holder, that theatre was dissolved. But uh, sometime later, in 1596, James Burbage, who was the builder of the theatre and the father of Richard Burbage, one of Shakespeare's uh, principal collaborators and the main actor of his company, acquired some other buildings in the Blackfriars precinct and started to build another theatre. Probably this was because uh, the company was becoming concerned about the instability of their tenure on the theatre on the north side of London and they wanted to open another line of income in a theatrical way. But as they began to build the buildings in the Blackfriars precinct, some of the local toffs objected to the Privy Council that they didn't want low-life scum theatre people working in their backyard. It was essentially a kind of nimby petition Mm -hmm. which stopped uh, the, uh, the players from converting the buildings and occupying them and left them empty. Three years later they were taken up again um, on a sublease from the Burbage's by another consortium of musical-playing entrepreneurs running boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of whom was actually uh, a member of the previous consortium. And from that point, the Blackfriars' buildings, which were not subject to the NIMBY petition because the the people managing them argued that this was an educational enterprise and not a theatrical one because <laughs> the boys were um, being educated in music and theatre, there was a company of boys that occupied those buildings more or less for the next 10 years And uh, a large number of younger playwrights, people like Ben Johnson and John Marston and John Webster uh, and George Chapman and so on, were um, employed to write plays for these boys, some of which were highly scandalous. Eventually, these scandalous plays got the boys in so much trouble that they were banned and dissolved, whereupon Burbage finally took over the buildings And the King's Men, uh, with Shakespeare as their playwright, began performing there. So there's actually a kind of protracted history of musicalised theatre, and particularly of a satiric kind of theatre being performed in the Black Prize precinct, which goes back at least to the 1570s.
0: Uh, Well, I I know that um, song composer um, uh, Philip Rossiter was involved in the managing of one of these boys company i think uh, john daniel brother of samuel daniel was too and uh, rossiter also publishes a book of uh, consort lessons he calls them for the broken consort which is the favored musical ensemble for indoor theatres in that time as well. I so all these little boys, as you were say, are very musical and as well.
1: Well that's the big difference between this this theatre and the big outdoor open amphitheatre theaters like the Globe. This is a much smaller theatre, somewhere between a quarter and a third the size. Um, it has an audience paying probably about six times the basic fee. It was a penny to get into the Globe, it was sixpence to get into the Black Rise Theatre. Um, it was also completely enclosed, so acoustically it was a lot more live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could have lute performances, you could have softer instruments, you could have a uh, solo viol or viol consort. Um, you didn't have to have sort of drums and trumpets in order to make a musical noise, or God forbid, a noise of shawm's. Uh, mm-hmm. Rabbiting on, you could have softer, more gentle, more genteel, more delicate uh, music in that in that space and an audience there only only because they could pay for it, but nonetheless because they could pay for it probably with more sophisticated or at least more genteel tastes attending to different mm-hmm. kinds of music and a different repertory. It was also a, a rather avant-garde space. The children apparently for a while could get away with things that the adults couldn't get away with. So it was actually quite experimental and they were looking for novelty. They were mm-hmm. looking for new kinds of experience, new kinds of feelings, new,
0: and even perhaps new kinds of music. There, it seems to me there's like a more magical music in something like The Tempest and things like that. Uh, so you'd have the more be more able to evoke scenes of magic with the sound, but also uh, perhaps uh, you can talk about uh, invoking uh, magic with st- stagecraft and things like that.
1: Well, that's something you can do in an enclosed space where you've got a, a much higher ability to manage stage effects. Um, and one of the things that the Blackfriars Theatre began to do, particularly when the King's Men took it over in 1609, Uh, was that you begin to see them importing into that theatre some of the effects which had been so spectacularly pioneered um, on the court stages um, under the direction of Vinigo Jones, who himself had imported an enormous vocabulary of stage effects from Italian theatre that he'd studied very closely. And so in the plays that uh, Shakespeare writes for the king's men after they move into the theatre, you do tend to find an uptick in these kinds of effects, gods and magical things like storms um, and uh, the descents of supernatural spirits and so on, with the attendant music uh, that helps to elevate a- and, uh, and refine the performing space to indicate that gods have entered into it. So, for instance, um, in Shakespeare's Pericles, Um, when Diana appears, there's a noise of music which only uh, Pericles, who's the only person who sees Diana's Mm -hmm. appearance, can hear. Um, And while it's possible that he's pretending to hear it, um, it seems much more likely that there was noise which other characters on stage pretended not to hear in order to indicate that we too were about to see the goddess Mm -hmm. descending
0: and making her prophecy and giving her instructions to Pericles. So it's like um, when... um John Travolta's dancing in uh, Saturday Night Fever, he can hear that music. When John Travolta's strutting down the street to um, staying alive, he can't hear that music, but we can. Right, yeah. yes,
1: like that, although <laughs> the Pericles in the play can actually. Hear music. <laughs> oh, yes. so, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah. If the goddess Diana were to appear to John Travolta, on John the street, Travolta is not as mad as Pericles. As, is that what? Or not He's as blessed, <laughs> if you like. Now, all of these <laughs> plays were also played at the Globe, so they were exportable to an outside venue. Mm-hmm. The company was interested in making as much money as it could, mm-hmm. so it was interested in getting the penny out of the groundling uh, spectators at the Globe for a new play. And what they, uh, what they came to do in due course was to work the Blackfriars Theatre indoors for seven months of the year for, for the, the more fashionable audience and then move outside to the larger paying venue for the three summer months when you could more or less rely on the weather, more or less this being England. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it might rain, but at least it wouldn't be quite as cold as it was in November.
0: Uh, I think there's a one place at the Malcontent where there is a scene added at the beginning, where they're all playing themselves, and the uh, stage manager says. Well, why, why are we even out here playing our playing ourselves? That's
1: right. It's a very interesting play, actually, because it it, it it began life as a play for one of the boys' companies. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then that that induction, which was rewritten when it was taken over by the King's Men,
0: um, makes mention of this change. Yeah, he says, and he's. I think it's one. It's Burbage the son who says. Uh, uh, well, it, why, we're we're adding this bit in the beginning because the boys' companies play a lot more music than we that's do. That's right. At the Globe. We we don't have the custom of music observed
1: <laughs> between the acts, and that's that's a feature of the Blackfriars uh, particular reliance on music. That it seems to have been the first theatrical enterprise where they actually had pauses
0: between the acts in which music was played, mm-hmm. whereas on the Globe stage, the acts well, in yeah, uh, with uh, I, I know from later the Purcell. Um, uh, the uh, airs for the theater it's the collections called has like the first music uh, the music for the first act music for the second act and uh, so because of these lighting effects they might have with uh, when uh, statues are turning back into people or goddesses are descending you need to trim the wicks on the uh, and you get a purcell dance suite a bit a bit later or back then That's you right. might hit he- listen to a bunch of um, uh, music from uh, Philip Rossiter's uh, consort lessons in between the acts like that.
1: And the playwrights begin to adapt themselves to that too. So in, in, in John Marston's Play the Dutch Courtesan, at the end of each act there's actually a prompt in the script for the musicians to play something. Ah. One of the actors will say, um, now we're going to have this song, or, <laughs> or mention a song a song as forthcoming, or sing a song, which then the musicians will elaborate before the action of the subsequent act begins.
0: Uh, so so tell us uh, this uh, clientele is obviously a bit classier in when you're paying what did you say six sixpence was
1: the basic fee if you wanted to have one of the particular boxes it was more on the blackfriars uh, stage it was even possible to get a seat actually up on the stage among the actors and there's a certain Mm. amount of, of game playing that goes on around that as well um uh a writer called Thomas Decker has a book called The Gull's Horn Book which is really a kind of learning book for idiots um, (laughs) like the Sloan Rangers handbook of some years ago Um, and he includes a section on how to show off your brand new fancy duds that you've just got from the tailor by paying the money and getting up on the stage and sitting and then at a certain point during the play preferably when there's something climactic going on scornfully stand up and storm off the stage sweeping your hat so that everybody will notice Do you think
0: there's a do you think there's much at the Globe, the famously young blades in the in the right in front of the stage would be interacting with particularly the clown characters. Do you think that goes away at all? In, 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 no, like it the doesn't. It story? just moves up onto the stage.
1: Um, and there's another famous play called The Night of the Burning Pestle, where mm-hmm. um, deliberately designed in the play is uh, some members uh, getting up out of the audience, a a, a pair of grocers and their apprentice Mm who get up out of the audience and complain that the play that they're seeing is not the play that they want to see. So they stage their own (laughs) chivalric quest romance in the middle of the scenes of the other play. This indicates, incidentally, that ordinary citizens did go to the Blackfriars, but that in that play they're generally regarded as not having the proper taste um, (laughs) that's requisite for for a Blackfriars audience. Mind you, the night of the burning pestle when it was first Performed was a failure, and Mm -hmm. and when it was published, the author complains that the uh, audience had not noticed the privy mark of irony about it, (laughs) which
0: suggests they weren't quite as sophisticated as he expected them to be. Uh, You mentioned *Night of the Burning Pestle*, and um, uh, uh, one of the one of the pieces mentioned in *Night of the Burning Pestle* is uh, Lacrime Pavan* by John Dowland. It's known throughout Europe. It's uh, probably written around 1590. But is still being quoted. Uh, the first few notes are still being quoted as a sort of musical emblem for melancholy. In 1689, I think it is in um, uh, Michel Lambert's songbook of that year. It's mentioned uh, the this, uh, this the ballad tune uh, "Go from my window," which every lute player, many lute players, have a their own version of different divisions on go for my window is also sung a couple of verses are sung in that play so you sort of in the board loot book there's these things that are just part of the things that everybody knows and needs to know if they're going to enjoy p- plays at the blackfriars or indeed anywhere um do you think a classy young woman who's getting top-notch loot lessons Uh, from a rich daddy paid for by a rich daddy are going to be at the Blackfriars? Uh, Very likely. It was a fashionable venue uh, for
1: um, gentry to uh, get educated, um, to get in touch with the current fashions in the city, um, and to see effects and styles that uh, were popular at court. Um, since, as I say, the King's men were often um, adopting, if not aping, uh, theatrical and sometimes one suspects costume fashions um, from court. Um, it was a prominent venue for a display, as I said, um, and one of the places which, depending on the aesthetic and religious tastes of your family, um, <laughs> if you were up in London um, on a trip, uh, you would be highly likely to attend. Um. As I said, just to some extent, depend upon your religious tastes because um, the, the severer sort of Protestants, um, which I don't think is in question here, would, would not have attended the theatre on principle. Um, but uh, fashionable young ladies uh, up in town with family or under chaperone um, would be quite likely to go, and we have records of ladies attending the Blackfriars. Um, and there they would hear, and in order to appreciate uh, the textures of the plays and the work that the plays were, that were doing, they would need to know uh, these these songs and ballads. Often, these songs are used in quite complicated, allusive uh, ways, as well as mm-hmm. in ordinary ways. Um, so, such that if you don't if you don't recognise the song being sung, you can't decode the complexity of mm-hmm. the dramatic moment that's at stake. You know, in Hamlet, when Athelia when Ophelia comes on, the first thing she does is to sing to new words, um, uh, a song more or less to Queen Gertrude, which is set to the old tune of Balsingham. And if you don't mm-hmm. recognise the story and the tune of Balsingham about lost love, then the resonance of that moment in that play is simply not there for you. Uh, and many of these invocations of things like "Lacrimae" and "Go from my window" and um, "Robbers to the Greenwood gone" and so on depend mm-hmm. upon you're simply knowing, in the ordinary vocabulary of your um, musical education, what these songs are. In the same way that if a, a modern film were suddenly to have, you know, "Satisfaction" or Painted Black" or "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds" somewhere yeah, in the yeah. soundtrack fact you would be expected to say oh something something interesting is happening here why do we have this this song being sung at this point in the film it was used elusively in just Mm -hmm. the same way so if she's learning them at home that provides her with the perfect grounding to appreciate the kinds of elusive textures that the playwrights are using on stage when she goes to the Blackfriars. uh
0: bonnie sweet robin or robin is to the greenwood gone that you mentioned uh sung by ophelia there's a Uh, a a ballad a set of ballad words that are printed over and over again the most famous words to that tune are a story of the king trying to seduce uh, some poor young woman who says no unlike Ophelia who obviously has said yes so it's so just hearing that tune would suddenly make you think oh that's like that ballad I read the last week. Yeah,
1: that, that's exactly right. And then if you don't know the ballad, of course, then you miss that resonance. Yeah, exactly. So,
0: so it forms a part of your basic
1: education, musical mm-hmm. and, and also poetic education, to learn these tunes, to know what they are,
0: um, and in, to be able to play them if you're learning an instrument. And Tom, I'm going to play uh, Poor Tom, for, which is, uh, to tell us about the connection between that and uh, King Lear. Well, there was quite a fashion in
1: the mid-17th century for mad songs. Um, How much earlier than um, King Lear, the figure of Mad Tom, the Tom of Bedlam, Mm -hmm. um, goes back, we don't really know. It's unlikely that Shakespeare invented it wholesale. He mostly didn't do that. He mostly drew on figures that were already established in one way or another. Um, But he gives uh, Edgar... The, um, the Earl of Gloucester's older son in that play, um a disguise in the middle of that play, as you'll recall, as a madman in order to escape mm-hmm. uh, being captured and executed for supposedly having plotted to kill his father. He gives him a, a sequence of scenes in which he plays this madman who sings, in the course of his madness, snatches of old ballads and bits and pieces that he embroiders or puts new words to, some of which we don't actually have anymore, but were presumably mm-hmm. part, again, of this reservoir of song. Mm-hmm. Um and subsequently, whether because of the portrayal in Lear or, or not, we don't really know. Um, mad songs, particularly with the character of Mad Tom, um, became, became quite popular and common. Um, there's one that survives with words so extraordinary that it seems um, almost impossible to imagine that they weren't written by a particularly strong poet, though probably mm-hmm. not Shakespeare. Um Words like, I know more than Apollo, for oft when he lies sleeping, I see the stars in bloody walls, and the wounded welkin weeping, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of thing you'd expect William Blake to have written yeah, hundreds of years and, later. Yeah, um, and and uh, tunes survive
0: too, uh, some of these songs, including, I believe, one in the board book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a, uh, yeah, the, the, you make, you're talking about mad songs, reminds me of uh, Robert Johnson, who was a composer for The King's Men and but also... Composed uh, dances for the court masks, writes uh, in The Duchess of Malfi, Oh, Let Us Howl. Uh, And it's a strange piece with all these slidings around and uh, um, very peculiar uh, setting. I think it might be the first mad song of that type, which then later Purcell takes over in the operas with. um, his mad songs and you know, things like
1: that. It seems to have been, as I say, quite quite popular in the 17th century, possibly indeed because of the enormous elaboration that that, the, that figures of madness had in Shakespeare's tragedies, which were immensely popular. Though madmen on stage go back earlier than that, particularly mm-hmm. um, revengers who go mad from their frustration, um, like Hieronimo in the Spanish tragedy, um, but even further back to representations of revengers from earlier classical tragedies, uh, like Orestes, who, of Mm -hmm. course, is driven mad by the furies after he kills his mother. Um, But certainly in the 17th century, madness as a topic in English culture seems quite heavily charged, particularly in the earlier part of the century. Mm -hmm.
0: Let's hear Lacrime Pavan, mentioned in The Night of the Burning Pestle and composed by Margaret Board's lute teacher, John Dowland, Anonymous settings of the ballad tunes Poor Tom from King Lear and Bonnie Sweet Robin, sung by Ophelia in Hamlet, and Richard Allison's setting of Go From My Window, also sung in Night of the Burning Pestle, all from Margaret Board's lute book. (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you.